Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. One of my favorite conversations I've ever had on There Are No Girls on the Internet is with a writer who was targeted and harassed online about how she continues to stay safe while doing visible work on the Internet. Without missing a beat, she said, anybody worried about online harassment should sign up for Delete Me. I signed up for Delete Me right then and there, and I personally recommend it to anyone. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls, code nogirls. Like, wow, they're kind of trying to expose this. They're also trying to create a narrative. Like, they understand that they're in an information war. There Are No Girls on the Internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. Last month, former royals Meghan Markle and Prince Harry released a Netflix documentary all about their decision to step back from the duties involved in being a member of the royal family. And this week, Harry's new memoir called Spare that chronicles his experiences in the royal family debuts as well. We've talked before about the wave of racist, sexist conspiracy theories and disinformation campaigns that target Meghan Markle. And in a piece called What Harry and Meghan Can Teach Us About Information Warfare, former FBI counterintelligence agent Asha Rangada says that Harry and Meghan's recent media can actually provide a good blueprint for how to combat a disinformation campaign in win an information war. So let's talk about the piece. It is fascinating. Mm-hmm. The piece is called What Harry and Meghan Can Teach Us About Information Warfare. Um, I know that you're a big fan of the royals. What drove you to write this piece, kind of breaking down Meghan and Harry and how what we can take away about propaganda and information? 
Yeah. So I sat down to watch their Netflix docuseries thinking this was just going to be some mind candy for me. I'm going to take a little break, you know, and escape it all. But I thought it was actually a great window into some of the stuff that I teach about. And in particular, they describe what, because what they're doing in the course of this documentary is really describing the propaganda machine that is the British tabloid you know, ecosystem and how it relates to the royal family. Um, while they were describing that, it reminded me a lot of about a lot of research that I've done about our own media ecosystem in the United States, and in particular, propaganda feedback loops that we have, for example, on the far right. Um, and so I started, my ears perked up, and I just started looking at the entire docuseries through that lens. Like, wow, they're kind of trying to expose this. They're also trying to create a narrative. Like they understand that they're in an information war. And that's what this is about, you know? And and then I remembered, I said, Prince Harry is on the Commission on Misinformation or Information Disorder with the Aston Institute. And I went and researched that and I looked at the report that they just put out. And I thought, you know, I think that there are some things that they are actually doing really well in this docuseries, just from a strategic information warfare perspective. And I decided to write about it. Okay, so the piece is so fascinating. And one of the things that you point out is that it kind of functions as almost like counter propaganda. Um, you write that the, 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 the film kind of works to give truth and advantage in our own information ecosystem. Can you tell us more about what you mean? Yeah, so... I have this Substack where I'm teaching basically an online course for anyone who wants to take it um, about in, about information warfare and disinformation and how we combat it. And one of the things that I've covered is that we propaganda is such a loaded word, right? We we tend to think of it as something that's always negative, and it's often used for manipulative and and bad purposes. But there is, you know, there is a place for counter propaganda where you know, you put out your narrative. We did this in the Cold War. You know, we put out our democratic values. We were in an ideological battle. And so, you know, in this context, you can't just cede the information space to an adversary and let them shape perceptions and opinions. You have to get out there and tell an affirmative story about the values that you stand for. That is a form of propaganda. It's white propaganda. It doesn't mean that it's bad, but I think that that's what they are doing and that's absolutely what they should be doing. So there was definitely a time where I, and a lot of us, kind of thought that ignoring certain unsavory things online was the way to go. You know, when they go low, you go high, be above it, or don't give that the time of day. Well, it turns out that the just ignore it strategy was not the most effective, and it actually allowed conspiracy theories to fester and get even stronger. Similarly, Asha says, we can take a lesson from the way that Meghan and Harry are not just sitting by while an inaccurate narrative is created around them. Instead, they're setting the record straight by going to battle for the truth. Okay, so I have to say, like, I work in, like, media trying to combat things like mis and disinformation and online harassment. And I guess I would say there was a time where I thought that there were certain conspiracy theories that, like, were not worthy of coverage, right? And I felt like covering them was, like, legitimizing them. And I feel like I've spent the last few years of my career kind of playing catch-up for that kind of error in strategy, error in judgment, because 
you know, by being like, oh, we're not going to pay attention to that. That's that's crazy. Like, of course, Democrats aren't eating babies. We're not going to even like dignify that with a response. You look and you're like, oh, wow, this has actually kind of like gotten out of control. And one of the things that you write about is that the Netflix documentary is sort of an one of the things that it does. It's like it's getting into the battle for the truth. It's like at least being on the field. Can you can you tell us more about like how you see them doing that? Yeah, I mean, they're they're getting into the battle because they they're putting something out and they're putting it out at a level and volume that can compete with this other propaganda machine, like this whole tabloid system, you know, um, they're, if they were just tweeting on their own or doing something, you know, as individuals, even though they're celebrities, it's just not going to, it, it's asymmetrical. It's not going to be able to have the same impact. Whereas this docuseries are kind of, uh, they're, they're in the fight. And I think to your point about conspiracy theories, the problem is that what we have now is that traditional gatekeepers that used to keep lies and conspiracy theories and really wacky things to the fringes, those gatekeepers no longer exist. You know, traditional journalists, you know, that had journalistic, uh, you know, standards and things like that, You the, most of that stuff used to stay on the fringes. It could not become mainstream. Well, with social media, where anybody can publish anything, everybody, you know, we've democratized media, which is really good in many ways, but it also means that now anything can become mainstream. So you can't ignore them because they will gain traction and lies travel faster on the internet and social media than the truth. So in many ways, the truth is already catching up. And so you have to get in there. Ideally, you get in there first. Um, and you get that first mover, mover advantage if you can. Yeah. What do you think it says about like our current moment in in media or like digital media that, yeah, we can no longer depend on traditional, quote unquote, like media sources or, you know, figures to be those gatekeepers? Like are, like when you think about the state of media, are are you are you hopeful that we can get to a place where like truth and thoughtfulness and nuance can compete with lies, conspiracy theories, and inflammatory nonsense? I'm hopeful, but I think it's going to require a lot of work. So I think we need to think about those types of information as sort of psychological hacking, right? Like when you look at and see all these people who believe in QAnon and that Democrats are eating babies or whatever, I mean, they have been hacked. Their brains have literally been hacked and, you know, hijacked and they believe these things. And when you look at in the cyber intrusion realm, like the technical intrusion, when people, when companies get hacked, what they talk about is that, yes, you need to defend and deter the hackers. You need to try to prevent them from coming in. But at some point, you kind of have to acknowledge everybody's going to get hacked. And the, be the best thing you can do is to be resilient when it happens. And so I think the key is, how do we create resilience among the people who are going to be consuming and are targeted by this information? Um, one of the things you just mentioned is what is really about media, media literacy. How do you train people to understand the sources of information that they're consuming and um, be more critical about it? Um, you know, digital literacy, civic literacy, so that you understand how the government works so it becomes harder to believe dumb conspiracy theories about it, you know? Um, 
So I think that there's a lot of things that we need to do to build resilience. Unfortunately, I think we spend a lot of time focusing on the social media platforms and how they should police themselves. And I personally think those platforms are kind of bad actors, right? Like they're like the tobacco industry. Like they have they have an addictive product that's bad for everybody and people are hooked and they have no financial interest in making it better. They really don't. It's so we funny that smoking. you say this. My, my partner works in tobacco control and we make this comparison all the time where every now and then Facebook will come out with like a very polished ad that's like Facebook cares about digital literacy or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, or protecting democracy. And it's like, then you would shut down. It's like the same way that like there's not a yeah. safer cigarette. If you were really interested in like making a product that's not harming everybody and breaking all of our brains, you would dismantle and shut down. Yeah, you would, you would burn the company down. <laughs> They don't care about you. They don't care about democracy. They care about making a buck. And if you look at the top performing sites on Facebook, for example, what is it? It's like Breitbart and Dan Bungie. I mean, these are, the you know, during COVID, it was the, you know, COVID misinformation sites, the anti-vax sites that were that were the most, uh, had the most engagement on Facebook. So um, no, they don't care about you or me. And I think you know, because the damage is in many ways invisible, unlike with tobacco, you're not, you know, you don't have people dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. And where you can point to something, it becomes harder to really wrap our minds around. Although with the Facebook whistleblower last year, Francis Haugen, you know, we have seen, you know, harms manifest, for example, with teens, uh, teenage girls and suicidal tendencies and things like that that have come out of social media. So maybe if we start to approach it in a public health mindset the way we did with smoking, maybe we can start to get some regulations. But I really think the regulatory aspect is going to be very slow and long-term and what we need in the short term is to build resilience on our side. Let's take a quick break. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. 
Y'all know I love the internet, but a sad truth about it is that it can be a scary place, especially for women, people of color, and trans folks. We've talked to people on this podcast, whistleblowers, activists, and advocates who are making technology safer, who then become targets for doing that work. But the truth is, it can happen to any of us online. That's why I personally use and recommend Delete Me. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls code nogirls. And we're back. It doesn't sound like you're holding out hope for, like, certainly not for tech leaders at platforms to police themselves appropriately or responsibly or ethically. It doesn't sound like you're really putting a lot of hope into, like, government to sort of take action. So in, in absence of, like, tech leaders doing anything or government doing anything, what, like, like should, is the resilience factor on us as individuals, like, just, like, really making sure that we understand what we're consuming and what it's like, what, what it's trying to get us to think or not think. Yes. I think that it's up to us as consumers of this technology, as consumers of the information, like the substance of the information. And I think also as citizens in terms of understanding our relationship with other people, most of these disinformation narratives, like even the Megan Harry thing, like, it's all about trying to create cleavages, right? Like, whose side are you on? Are you are you Harry Meghan? Are you William Kate? Like, it's all about div- division and tribalism and whose team are you on? And what we need to do, I think, also is think about our relationships offline because the more that we can build true human connection in real life mm-hmm. across all of these different social cleavages and beliefs and ideologies or whatever the much it becomes much harder to divide you when you're when you're online yeah that's something that we talk about a lot on the show is the way that these it it, things become kind of like turned into a a really specific binary and so if you're someone like I'm not a huge person who's into the royals that much as a black woman I liked it that I like the idea of like a black princess. I know she wasn't a princess, but whatever. Like we definitely called her black princess. I liked that. Like I was no huge Meghan Markle fan. I wasn't like a big consumer of media around the royals. But the way that it was so clear that it was like, well, are you a Kate or a Meghan? And like how racialized and politicized that yeah. was. There wasn't really a place for the casual person who was like, I'm interested in like casually following this person that I kind of like. But I, I don't necessarily want to feel like I need to take these, take a binary side in this way. And so when things become flattened out into this like tribalistic binary vibe, the people who are interested in just having thoughtful conversations or don't really feel one way or the other kind of get drowned out because it's like, are you with her or with her? Are you with these people or those people? Like, it really doesn't leave a place for nuance. No, it doesn't at all. Um, there's a term for it. It's called cyber balkanization, which means that, you know, when you're online, things become very narrow. I mean, even if you look at something like a Facebook group, right, it's 
it's all like along one theme and one topic. And it's great. It's a great way to bring people together along that dimension. But you're also not connecting on all these other dimensions. The other thing that happens on social media is you're creating these tribal alliances But you're also not like exchanging actual human cues. Like, you know, you're not seeing people's faces and you're not seeing the other side, right? Which makes it, you know, if you're actually in a debate with someone in real life, like there's a certain amount of respect and, you know, because you're, you're human, right? Like you actually have a human connection there in person. It's much easier to become more toxic because it's so depersonalized online and the other the other side is kind of abstract or anonymous in a way um and it gets really ugly really fast yeah i have found myself as a like a personal exercise trying to really in, engage in discourse online with strangers in a way that really i don't know i just so something about the exercise of like getting into a, a debate on twitter or something like your collar is your 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 fur is up. Like you're just like mm-hmm. and so like it you can I, I feel it myself. Like you can so quickly be like so hostile. And you're like, well, if we were just two people talking at a cafe, would I default to hostility? And so I'm really as a personal exercise trying to like really be mindful of that dynamic of like if somebody is disagreeing with me about something that really is of no consequence on the internet, what like is it, it why is my first instinct to be like a hostile response or and part of me wonders if it's because a lot of the times like you you kind of kind of sense that your like followers are watching and maybe you want to like really dunk on this person so that other people will be like yeah go you and i'm just trying to really unlearn all of that because i do think it's like not the healthiest instinct to show up with absolutely and I, you have to remember that these platforms are sort of designed for that right um they want you to Emotional reactivity drives engagement. And that's why the content that triggers that emotional reactivity is going to be the stuff that you most likely see. Like, you're not going to see the boring post that you're like, oh, I just learned about the political situation in, you know, New Guinea or I don't know, whatever, right? Um, It's going to be something really crazy and uh, that pushes your buttons. And that's the whole point. That's what keeps you addicted. Then you start scrolling and then you start you know, responding. And, you know, that's what makes the money. You are the product. That's what you have to remember. And I, I am with you. Like I succumb to it myself, but I, I'm trying to be more mindful and to think about when I get triggered that way, that's the cue to get off. Because at the end of the day, it's actually not that worth it. Like, who are these people? And you don't even know if they're real. They could be like some it could be Ivan in St. Petersburg right. sitting in a troll form. Like, you don't even know. Um, so, but yeah, that what you're feeling is real. Um, and it's designed to do that to because that's what keeps you on the platform. As someone who has worked in counterintelligence, like, I don't even know how to ask this without sounding not informed. So if, my, if the way that I'm framing this does not sound informed, feel free to let me know because I am certainly not the expert. But, you know, you mentioned like you don't even know if these people are real. And we've covered quite a bit this idea of bad actors impersonating people, getting into online communities and like causing chaos and confusion. What is going on there? Like, like why would a for, like why would a foreign agent be invested in me, Bridget Todd, um, in my kitchen 
getting hot under the collar and like rage tweeting somebody like like what like why is that a tactic that we see because when they do it on a mass scale it erodes trust among the citizenry i mean what how you feel when you're online is going to carry out carry over when you go out into real life right like that you carry that with you I mean, I have found even in the last five years, like I'm kind of more mistrustful in general when I walk around, like I see people, you know, and it's, I have to like think about who I am and who I want to be in the space, but it, it sows division and it sows chaos. And with the more that you're on Twitter arguing with some person, you're not out uh, doing, you know, you're not volunteering, you're not, um, being civically engaged. You're not, um, you know, going to a a show at a theater or a sports event where you're like, you know, forging, I think, healthier connections. And for places like Russia that can't compete with us technologically, militarily, economically, their objective is to have us implode from within, to create dysfunction and discord, have us all hate each other, ideally have us all shoot each other, and essentially bring and, and have us lose faith in our institutions and bring our entire form of society and governance to a standstill. That's what they want. And I, I hate to say, I mean, like, I agree. And I hate to say that we have people in the United States who are kind of like doing that, like helping them along. It's like, absolutely. I, it like makes me want to pull my hair out where I'm like, don't you see that this is what they want? Don't you see that you're just doing the work of bad actors for them? Yes. No, absolutely. I think um, their interests are aligned with a subset of uh, actors, including political actors. I mean, they're, look, we, got, we have a group right now that's holding our House of Representatives hostage. Right? These are the people who try to overthrow the government. Yes. It's one of those things where there's a little bit of truth because I can understand somebody who was like, I'm not going to trust these people to govern to govern for me. And it's like, well, yeah, I can I like I like I I agree that having people lose trust in our institutions is like bad and like what bad actors want. But on the other hand, part of me is like, well, they're not making it very difficult no, for someone to lose trust these like kooky people <laughs> yes. i will say i think in that regard the midterm elections were i think heartening you know you had a lot of these election deniers defeated and i do think that there's i think the pendulum is gonna move maybe slowly but it is gonna move in the direction because people are are sick of it and i do think people are more aware now of you know what is being done to us and um, that, you know, it's really up to us to try to take it in another direction. Absolutely. I, I, I kind of agree with you. I think that people are just like sick of it. It's enough already. Like, enough already. Yeah. Like we, like we have to be able to have like a baseline understanding of reality. And if we don't have that, like we don't have anything. Absolutely. More after a quick break. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. 
We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. Let's get right back into it. One of the things that you talk about in your piece is something called the propaganda feedback loop that uh, that was coined by the Columbia law professor Benkler. Uh, and this like really blew my mind. And the way that you saw it working in the dialogue around uh, Harry and Meghan, can you tell us a bit about how you see that, fun- uh, what it is and how you see it functioning? Yeah. So the propaganda feedback loop, uh, this is developed by a Columbia law professor, Yokai Benkler, who co-authored a book called Network Propaganda. But what they were describing is that in the United States, the the right-wing media system is basically a, a closed system. So you have sort of these symbiotic relationships where these outlets like Fox News provide favorable coverage of particular political figures who then will go on those shows. And then the the audience for that is sort of siloed, right? Like they are not getting other narratives because they're sort of sucked into this. And so they're in an alternate reality to get to what you were saying before. Like if we live in alternate realities, we can't function. That is an alternate reality. It's very hard to pierce that. What that... um this is unrelated to the Megan piece, but what what they are trying to show in that book is 
um, that the media, the center of gravity on the left and right are asymmetrical, meaning that that propaganda feedback loop is existing in, um, is a system that allows for conspiracy theories and false narratives and all of that. And there's nothing external that can come in and check it or correct for it. Whereas even if you have more of a left bias in traditional media, CNN, MSNBC, whatever, there are still guardrails there that prevent largely, you know, complete conspiracies or false narratives from piercing it. And so you have like two different media ecosystems and one that is just more truthful than the other. What I saw playing out with Megan and Harry is that they were describing a similar feedback loop with the British tabloids and the Royal Palace. Um, it's called the Royal Rota, which is this, I, I guess, some handful of these tabloids or these outlets. And there's just sort of this implicit understanding that as long as the members of the royal family pose and, you know, give them content, uh, both in terms of, you know, photographs, stories, dirt on other people in the royal family, then they get rewarded by favorable coverage or at least by distracting from bad coverage by covering other people. It's really sad. I mean, it was, you know, it's essentially they're like circus animals where they have to be on display all the time and this media system can like punish them if they're not. If they don't play along, then they can like, you know, circulate these narratives and it creates these incentives for members of the royal family to actually throw each other under the bus in order to take, you know, take the heat off themselves or to get, I mean, for whatever reason. And you see this playing out, I think, you know, with even Harry and his brother, right? I think this is one of the main reasons that he was really upset with his brother. Um, I don't know that the public audience in the UK is as you know, if there's as much capture as there is here, I don't know if they're as siloed. So I'm not sure if it's necessarily the exact same as our the propaganda feedback loop on the right here. But that that symbiotic relationship between the royal palace and these tabloids, to me, um, was what I saw playing out. A truism about false information is that while it can be good to debunk lies on the Internet, it doesn't always work especially with folks who are deeply committed to a false reality. So rather than trying to debunk all the different conspiracy theories and misleading statements out there, one by one, like, no, Meghan Markle did not wear a fake tummy to fake a pregnancy, or no, she did not use a doll as a stand-in for her baby, because that would never work for people who are fully and deeply invested in an alternate reality. Instead, Meghan and Harry are shifting the conversation. One of the things that I think is so fascinating that you point out in your piece is how I think because it being this like closed feedback loop where a, an outsider is never going to be able to pierce it, never going to be able to like somebody who is a true believer, they're probably never going to be able to to really get any kind of alternate, you know, perspective in there, is that they don't really focus on debunking a lot of the lies and misinformation coming out of out of this. Instead, they kind of change the narrative and, like, peel back the curtain to sort of explore the ways that the monarchy is this, like, dysfunctional, toxic system. So do, do you think that's, like, why they sort of do it that way, that they're like, we're not going to debunk all of the lies and half-truths. We are instead going to, like, tell a different story. 
Yeah, they just changed the debate, right? Like they just reframed the whole controversy, which I think was smart, A, because of what you just said. You're not going to convince people who already believe something, but you're just changing the paradigm and you're exposing how it how the tactic works. This is the key to neutralizing, as we would say in the intelligence world, disinformation is you I mean you can fact check, you can counter. That's and that's helpful, but it's often not super productive. Pe- people it's very hard to undo someone's belief once they have it. What you can do is explain to them what's being done to them. And then that might open their eyes and make them more skeptical of what they consume after that, right? Um, you're kind of pulling back the curtain. And I think they did that very smartly. And by reframing the entire controversy in terms of, you know, this is how the royal family is exploited by this, you know, tabloid system that makes money off of this voyeurism of the public. Um, it really places both those outlets and I think the royal palace in a defensive posture because now they have to explain, like, why do you go along with this? Right? Why are you into the outlets? Like, why are you exploiting them? So, I mean, I'm not surprised that I'm sure the British media is really, really mad because they just got completely exposed and called out. Yeah. And I'm sure when uh, Harry's book comes out next week, like, I'm sure they're all, like, nobody in the in the palace is, like, having a good time. I'm sure everybody is very stressed, has a lot on their plates. Yes. I I think I read some snippets of that today, or, or I saw some tidbits. Like, I guess there's drama about how William was beating up on Harry. I don't know, something like that. So it sounds, it sounds like lots of drama will be revealed. What do you think that either the Netflix show or just generally like the media ecosystem around the uh, Megan and Harry, do you think that it tells us anything about how we can counter other more like broad or widespread disinformation campaigns like critical race theory or, you know, drag queens are out to harm your kids, like things yeah. like that? Like, do you think there's any lessons to be learned there? There are definitely lessons to be learned. And, you know, the the CRT thing, I mean, the reframing the controversy is really important there, right? Because that's a very deliberate uh, psyop, basically, a psychological operation to take this term, critical race theory, and basically make it a catch-all phrase for teaching anything having to do with race or, you know, it, no one can define it. And that's that's the key right? It becomes shorthand. It's like Hunter Biden's laptop. It's, you know, groomers, all these like these buzzwords that no one really understands, but it just becomes associated with bad. So if you try to engage on that term, you're always going to be losing. I would see people saying, but critical race theory isn't taught in, you know, elementary schools. It's not. But at this point, you're already, you're accepting the term. Why are you, why are you fighting about that? You know, why not respond with, why would you not want children to learn about the history of the United States, including slavery? Like, that's the question. Whatever you want to call it. But, you know, so it just, to, to reframe it, to t- stop using the terms that are being given to you. Mm-hmm. Be, stop using the assumptions that are being given to you because it's a trap. It's a trap to make you engage in that and then to basically, you know, keep you tied up in that loop. You got to get out of the loop. Got get out of the loop. That's that's 
words to live by. (laughs) (laughs) One of my last questions for you. How was Diana the musical? Oh, my God. (laughs) Did you watch that clip? I I, I watched the breakdancing because I was like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't it so bad? Oh my it's God. like I was in, I had nothing to do with the production and I was embarrassed. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. I know. I know. I was like, aren't they like, do these people have no dignity? Um no, it oh, it's so bad. You have to it's actually so bad you have to watch it. So it's so bad it loops back around to good. Yes, you have to watch it. <laughs> a winning you have endorsement. To watch it. There's a there's a there's a um the Thrilla in Manila with Camilla, which is like a faux like boxing fight between Diana and Camilla. Like, I mean, it's so it's just so dumb. <laughs> and the lyrics are so dumb. And this person who plays Diana is not a convincing Diana at all. Right? Like, it's just sort of like, why are you doing this? But you can't stop watching it. I was like rubbernecking the whole time. All right. Well, that's going on my list. It sounds like choices were made in this production. Definitely have to check it out. Yes. <laughs> Where can people follow all the very fascinating work that you are up to? I think the best place, if you're interested in the topics we talked about today, is my Substack, asharangappa.substack.com. Um, that's where I've been writing about this stuff. Uh, I have free content. If you're interested in taking the course, you can sign up for that too. Um, I am on Twitter, though. I'll be honest, I'm trying to wean off. I'm trying to use that as a tool to enhance other parts of my professional life um, and to not let it suck up my whole time. That's one of my New Year's resolutions. So, But you can follow me there, too. It's Asha Rangappa underscore. Um, and uh, you can, those are the two main places. Got a story about an interesting thing in tech or just want to say hi? You can reach us at hello at tangodi.com. You can also find transcripts for today's episode at tangodi.com. There Are No Girls on the Internet was created by me, Bridget Todd. It's a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. Jonathan Strickland is our executive producer. Tari Harrison is our producer and sound engineer. Michael Amato is our contributing producer. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. If you want to help us grow, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional-grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. 
Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.